0: Welcome spooks and spirits, ghouls and ghosts. Take a seat around the campfire, but beware, this podcast is haunted.
1: Thrice the brinded calf hath mewed. Thrice and once the hedge pig whined. Harpier cries, tis time, tis time. Round about the cauldron go, in the poisoned entrails throw. Toad that under the cold stone, days
0: and nights, has thirty-one. Sweltered venom, sleeping got, boil thou first in the charmed pot. Double double, 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 toil and, toil and trouble. trouble, fire, fire burn, burn and cauldron, cauldron bubble. bubble.
1: Just leaning into my... Mm. Sanderson sister. Yes,
0: yes, yes. Well, folks, it is still Halloween in this
1: town. <laughs> it's going to be Halloween forever.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. So. Uh, why did we start off reading classic literature at people? Like, yeah, at
0: people? Because we're talking about
1: Shakespeare. Today. Shakespeare. Um, are you a little surprised how long it took us to get to this subject? I'm frankly shocked. Yeah. Because Shakespeare's basically the love of my life. Mm-hmm. And he's no like, I mean, he's like our ultimate shorty. Like he's super into ghosts. He's mm-hmm. super into history. Yeah. He put on a fine a number of fine plays. Yeah, that's like our whole Ballywick gen.
0: Broadway. Ghosts. History. History. Dick jokes? These are main... Oh my god, I forgot about all that. Oh yeah, oh, he writes a fine dick joke. Yeah. That is... For all of you people at home who think, oh, Shakespeare is just so stuffy and old. No, no. Man knew how to write a very good dick joke.
1: Yeah, uh, go ahead and look at uh, Kate and Petruchio. Uh, Catherine, I like it better when she's called Kate, though. Uh, Oh, I wonder why. (laughs) I wonder why. Uh, Kate and Petruchio talking about uh, where a wasp should keep his stinger. Hmm. dirty yeah he's very raunchy (laughs) i love him and it's only appropriate that we're getting to him Mm -hmm. uh Eventually. So, uh, today we're talking about Shakespeare, guys, just in case you forgot what we were talking about two seconds ago. Mm. Uh, Shakespeare, if you remember 10 Things I Hate About You, mm-hmm. the annoying, like, best friend who, like, keeps a picture of William Shakespeare in her locker, and who she's like,
0: We're involved. Suddenly somehow thinks that Shakespeare is real? Oh, well, I mean, Shakespeare is real. I mean, yeah, but, like, alive right in 1990s she California. Was,
1: <laughs> she's like, We're involved. It's, it's like that woman who's dating the Irish pirate ghost, oh, yeah. right? I think they broke up. Did they? Sad. I know, True right? love never lasts, guys. <laughs> All right, so we're talking about Shakespeare today. Um do you want to just jump in? Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's get right into it. So, I'm telling you about his life. I'm going to cover my sources up front because I kind of just melted them together a little bit. Yeah. Um the obviously I have to put in my other First boyfriend and foremost, uh Bill Bryson. Uh, I've reread this book a number of times, and I took the opportunity to re-listen to it when we subject when we picked this subject. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Bill Bryson, Shakespeare, the world as a stage. Uh, I have a lot of information from that one today. Also, the life of William Shakespeare from Wikipedia, because I'm not better than that. Uh, Everyone
0: donate to Wikipedia. That's right. Keep it going.
1: You really should. Uh, the curse on Shakespeare's grave from Mental Floss and Stacy Conrad. And grave curse shows Shakespeare's fear for his bones from Reuters. And finally, Shakespeare's skull probably stolen by grave robbers study Founds, by Mark Brown of the Guardian. Hell
0: yeah!
1: I am, <laughs> am little, stoked for this. Little precursor there. Okay. <laughs> so those are the sources for me today. Um, and when I pre, just when we're talking about Shakespeare, mm-hmm. I feel like we all think we know a great deal about Shakespeare? Fun fact, we do not. Uh. (laughs) There's actually only about 70 hard facts about Shakespeare. uh, Times and places where we know Shakespeare actually was. Fun. (laughs) Most of them are either tax documents from purchasing things or litigious pieces of information. So uh, court cases, for Uh example. And so uh, Shakespeare actually... (laughs) Got sued, he had to counter-sue, he was involved as a witness for the defense and a couple things. Fascinating guy. Um, we're not going to talk about all of that because we're not made of time. Uh, but what we are going to talk about is just some basic facts about his life. First off, I really enjoy this about him. Has kind of a very tidy birth and death. Did it on the same day. Oh. Yeah. Well, so... Tidy, right? Night. Yeah. Don't you night. like that? So, caveat. We don't actually know what day Shakespeare was born. So you don't know this? Eh, we have a really strong guess. Okay. What we do know is when he was baptized. Um. And he was baptized on St. George's Day, born in 1564, probably on April 23rd. This is five years into Queen Elizabeth I's reign. Mm-hmm. She's still got like 39 years left in that. Uh, we're not exactly sure of the day. Probably April 23rd. Now, back then, kids died. Yeah. (laughs) There were a lot of reasons to get your kid baptized as quickly as possible. This was, for the most part, a Catholic-rooted society, even though they were kind of into the Protestant age by now. So they really believed that if you didn't get your children baptized in time, that... They would be sent off to purgatory when they mm-hmm. probably ine- inevitably died of all to of the limbo. millions of things. Are we you just, referencing?
0: We we uh we, well, our last episode we mentioned we're gonna have a very spectacular day. We just watched uh the others, and I had never seen that movie before. Were you delighted? It is amazing, and it the
1: idea of purgatory is in there quite a bit. Yes, it is where the unbaptized children go. Oh, so creepy. So good. Nicole Kidman. My God. You know how to spook people. She's a delight. So, anyways, I'm gonna. I swear to God, I'm gonna finish this. <laughs> April twenty third is likely the day he was born. Uh, he was baptized on Saint George's Day three days later. Okay, I was gonna ask what day is that. You you would have tried to get your children in to be baptized as quickly as possible. There was a feast day on the twenty fifth. Okay. He was baptized on the twenty sixth. Uh-huh. The feast day on the twenty fifth though was considered unlucky, so it's likely that they would have baptized him the next day. But he could have been born on the. Twenty fifth. Ah, but that would have been you would have just had and been and done. What? <laughs> fuck you, Mercury. Now <laughs> Mer-
0: Mercury is Mercury's back in retrograde. Uh, but yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, I
1: probably was trying to say something smart. Hang on, let me. It'll come back to me. Okay. Okay. okay, okay. Nope. Fuck it. It's gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they didn't. So fuck you. That's why. Okay. <laughs> One of the problems with Shakespeare's life is that the idea of record-keeping is kind of a new phenomenon during this era. We're like seeing the rise of record-keeping for mm-hmm. English churches. And a lot of churches were like, mm, maybe. One, they didn't have staff to do it already. Yeah. Two, uh, they were really worried that all of this record-keeping would lead to a new tax so the, the
0: state was asking them to keep these records they yeah. were like all right but why mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what do you really want that's one thing that I've always admired about the Victorians they write everything down and I love it yeah very useful people
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, historically
1: speaking uh, anyway so it's a tidy date with his death day we actually do know firmly that he died April 23rd of 1616 made it to his early 50s not too bad for that era Wow. yeah uh, so like I said we only have about 70 actual facts about where he was and what he was
0: doing. Are you going to give us a rundown of all of
1: them? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're dull. Uh, we're going to stick to the good stuff, and okay. I'm trying to be concise. Because I could have, I mean, like, it's me. Yeah. And, like, I really could have, like, leaned into this. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't even actually really know
0: what he looked like. Well, what's the picture from then?
1: Ah, thank you for asking. Uh-huh. <laughs> so there are three images considered to be Shakespeare. Uh, one of them, there is no evidence, so there's a, a painting, it's a, um, it was actually the first painting accepted into the gallery, the, the um, National Gallery mm-hmm. in England, and it shows a ruffed man wearing fashions of the time, wearing all black, with an a earring in his left ear. So, according to Bill Bryson, this says a couple things. Ah, <laughs> um, yes. One... Uh, It says that the time period's about right. The rough collar says that this
0: could have been during Shakespeare's life. Oh, my God. I was thinking of the wrong rough. I was thinking R-O-U-G-H. I can understand why you would think that. R-U-F-F, the little foofy.
1: I actually kind of appreciate that homophones are hanging us up here because Shakespeare would have enjoyed that. Man loved a homophone. Yeah. So, no, rough. This is like a collared.
0: Elizabethan collar. Yes. Yeah. Like a, like a coffee filter or a doily around your neck. Yes, exactly. Um, he also was wearing black. Uh, black
1: meant that he was either prosperous, or at least he wanted you to think that he was prosperous. Black dye mm. takes many layers of dye to get to a true black. And so people who were uh, well-moneyed or wanted you to think that they were well-moneyed would wear black clothing. Mm, and then finally, the earring. Men who wore earrings meant... Pretty much the same thing as they mean today. Kind of a racy fashion guy. Oh, what a rogue. Indeed. A scurvish knave. So that, as soon as it was accepted by the National Gallery, people were like, eh, this might not have been Shakespeare. Really? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of really solid reason to believe that no, it's not Shakespeare. Why? What? Um, I don't know. Look it up. <laughs> we're not going to focus on those two. Oh. Listen, listen. If we want to get into can the... tease me, like this. fucking watch me, call me daddy. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if we want to get into all the conspiracy surrounding Shakespeare, we can, but we would have to start a new podcast about that. Maybe we should consider it. Put it in the book. <laughs> Um, There's a lot of conspiracy about Shakespeare. I'm not going to delve into that. I don't have that kind of time. Okay. So I will talk about the other two images that exist of Shakespeare that I promise you are familiar with. The first is a plating from the inside of the first folio. Uh, If you are familiar with that image of Shakespeare with kind of the bald head and the sort of lumpy, Mm -hmm. almost Prince Valiant hair. (laughs) That is the copper engraving from the first folio. And it's a particularly bad engraving. So the image itself is Shakespeare's hair is unlevel. His head is too big for his body. It's it's bad art. (laughs) Um, And the reason that it was used is because the person who laid out the book had this new technology. So mm-hmm. even though he wasn't an artist, he was going to make a run at it anyway. See what this can do. Yeah, and it turned out, I don't know. It's it's real if you look at it like when you first look at it, you're like, yeah, Shakespeare, and you move on with your life. But when you really look at it, it's really shitty. <laughs> it's like, it's very poorly done. His whole head is lopsided. Hmm. Um, and again, his hair is noticeably like two inches shorter on
0: one side Maybe than on the other. Maybe he just was going for a look. Uh, it's possible. Have you seen season two of Fleabag? No. Uh, <laughs> there's I'm still a, only one episode into that one. There's a very asymmetrical haircut in that. You should you, know, you should get to it. Every,
1: every, every generation has its own version of the Rachel. <laughs> so... Uh, the, the third, um, it's also worth noting, sorry. The first folio was put together by people who were fans of Shakespeare seven years
0: after his death. They
1: had a pretty good idea of what he looked like. They might have been working closely with him, but
0: it's been seven years. So he's like Jesus in that nobody really knows what he looks like. But there's a third piece.
1: Okay. So uh, where he's buried at the Holy Trinity Church, uh, he's buried in the floor near the altar, but above him, uh, there is a relief sculpture uh, of him, and he's, uh, you know, he looks the way we think Shakespeare looks. But what's interesting about that is that it would have been seen by people who knew him well, including his daughters. Hmm. And it passed their muster, so it must pass ours.
0: Okay. Well, yeah. But, it, but does it look basically like the other ones? Um, in
1: some ways. Not as much the roguish... Earring guy. Mm. Uh, you'll have to... I, I encourage you to compare the three images. Okay. But, but that's all we have. Just those three images. Mm. For, like, the greatest writer of in the English language, Like, I'm sorry, I got too excited. There's
0: only one portrait of Jane Austen. True.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, we don't really know what this guy looked like. Mm-hmm. Uh, except for these couple of objects his father we do know uh was kind of an interesting guy uh his name was john shakespeare of famous
0: famously of Stratford. his i just can't imagine anyone else with that name i know how I, dare they <laughs> nice to meet you i'm john shakespeare
1: <laughs> and he would have said that a lot because he was kind of a man of uh, man about town he uh he was an alderman he was a bailiff he was sort of a local politician as well as a glover <laughs> He made gloves. He made gloves, yes. It was his first uh, career. He was a glove maker, and he was fairly prosperous. One of the reasons he was fairly prosperous is because he was also a hustler. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, You had to have licenses to get into certain careers back then, Mm. and he was illicitly selling wool.
0: (gasps) Scandalous. Indeed.
1: (laughs) Uh, In addition to that, he was also a usurer, which means that he would lend people money
0: and then expect them to pay interest. You know, like our government does on Mm. students. And like everyone now. It's somehow not... Not Bernie Sanders. not a sin anymore.
1: So his father was John Shakespeare, hustler. Still (laughs) too weird. I know. His mother was Mary Arden, and she was actually the Arden's are gentry. Mm -hmm. Uh, So any sort of nobility that Shakespeare had, and, and most of their wealth actually came from his mother. They lived in Stratford, which is about 100 miles northwest of London. Uh, what is that in kilometers? Like
0: 60 kilometers. Literally, nobody knows. Okay. <laughs> it's a fucking mystery.
1: That's what it is. Yeah. Um, it was actually a fairly major town. Like it would be like saying that you're from I don't Toledo. Know. Just kidding. <laughs> actually, that's maybe not a bad yeah. yeah. Okay. Like it's a place that people would have heard of. It had a lot of industry.
0: Okay. Um, City of industry. <laughs>
1: Uh, his family was definitely upper middle class. Uh, the town was really big for the time period. They had 3,000 people. Uh, most of England would have been smaller than that. In fact, there were only three towns that were 10,000 people or more at that point in England. <laughs> they actually had eight kids, but most of them did not survive childhood. Mm. William was the first one to thrive. Um, you, If you remember that old... Failure to thrive. Sometimes babies just didn't make it. Mm -hmm. And so his mother had been through two births already. Both of them girls lost in infancy. Infant, fuck. Retrograde! (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Most of them girls lost in infancy. So when he made it and he thrived, uh, they put a lot of hopes into him. They made sure that he was properly educated. Neither of his parents would have been able to read or write. It's possible. Uh, Certainly, probably not his mother. His father, they think, didn't read or write because he was using a mark to sign his name on documents but caveat uh men back then who wanted to be very busy they're 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 men who are too busy for trivial matters like signing their name Mm. maybe would have used a mark so it's
0: like every soccer mom who would just like puts a smiley face on the sign here uh screen on Like, you swipe your card, and then you have to sign the screen, and so many people will just... Actually, I I take that back. It's not soccer moms. It's a lot of middle-aged men who are just like, nothing matters. Right. (laughs) And and they'll just, like, draw a smiley face or something. Sure. Or doctors, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm too busy to write legendary. I can't be bothered. It's
1: exactly like that. Yeah, same idea. Um, So the dad used a mark. It's possible he didn't know how to read and write them.
0: A lot of people didn't. Well, isn't that also one of the conspiracy theories about Shakespeare himself? I refuse to go into that because we
1: have evidence that Shakespeare went to school. Oh, okay. Shakespeare attended the local grammar school, and his local grammar school would have sucked ass. It's amazing that these kids learned anything other than, like, I don't know, how to sit still. Maybe he didn't. All right, stop. (laughs) Listen. No. <laughs> Shakespeare, Shakespeare, I'll fight you in the alley. You don't care. <laughs> <sighs> now I'm angry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just had to have voice what some people are. I know. Some people are shouting angry. at their radios right now. And I'll fight all anything. of them too. Yeah. Anyway, uh, his school went six days a week. Motherfucker Shit. started school at 6 a.m. and no. was not out until 5 p.m. on most days. Uh. Jen, can you, I mean, do you know what 6 a.m. looks like right now? No.
0: Yeah. I haven't seen it in weeks. No, of course not.
1: Although you got hired, so you have to figure that shit out soon. But probably not 6 a.m. still.
0: No, no, God, no. No.
1: Uh, In winter, (laughs) they only went from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Luxury. Well, it was only because they wanted to save money on candles. Yeah. Even back then, nobody was willing to invest in children's education. Yeah. Uh, And what an education it was. (laughs) They learned Latin extensively. They recited Latin. They translated Latin. They even did plays in Latin, which might have been Shakespeare's first introduction to theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so Latin, Latin, Latin. Uh, they also did a lot of translating Latinate histories, which would, of course, be something that Shakespeare does for his career later. A Latinate history like, I don't know, that of Julius Caesar. Oh. Oh. <laughs> uh We also know that he probably saw plays in his town. His father was the bailiff for a number of years, and as such he would have been responsible for any traveling players who came to town. Um, and we have record of those players who came to town because they had to pay a fee to be there. And so we know that in the time of his youth, his father would have had to see these plays first. There were 12 different playing companies who were who paid and received money to put on shows. Uh, they performed 18 different shows that his father would have had to see and likely Shakespeare would have seen as well. Um, so this is probably the root. Of Shakespeare as a theater goer. Um, poetry would have been in his classrooms, uh, the poems would have been quite different from the sonnets. <laughs> Uh, but it would have been there. Eventually, he leaves school at age fourteen <laughs> to go and get a job. A grown ass man
0: and contribute ready to, to society. <laughs> contribute to stop being a fucking leech. Get out there and help kids these days. Well, waiting I... until fourteen to get a job. <laughs> so
1: lazy. <laughs> it's a good thing he got out there though, because he was full on fucking married by age eighteen. <laughs> Shit. To a twenty-six year old. Oh, girl, get it. Uh,
0: yeah, I gotta get
1: that young. Is buck. this?
0: Is this? Anne Hathaway. This is
1: Anne Hathaway, though she had Amazing. been a local widow. They got married uh, quite quickly, sort of a rush job. Was she a uh, uh-huh. Six months later, Suzanne yeah. rolled right on out. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they actually had to apply for a special license. Uh, back then, when you got married, you had to have the bands, which is the proclamation that you're getting married. You had to have those read for three consecutive Sundays. Mm. They were able to skip two of those <laughs> because... <laughs> the time was ticking. Shorty was starting to show, and uh, things were going to get uncomfortable. Girl, get it. <laughs> Yeah, so they got married by a special license. Their daughter Susanna was born a mere six months later, a scandalous six months later. Mm -hmm. Um, And really, we don't know much about the marriage itself between Shakespeare and Anne Hathaway. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One of the things that we do know uh, from his will is that he left her his second best bed. And so people have drawn from that that it wasn't a happy marriage.
0: Who got the first best bed?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I encourage you to look it up. No, <laughs> right. I, I actually knew at one point in time, um, my Shakespeare professor in college, Rebecca Ferguson, told me, and I was going to remember for this show, but I don't. So,
0: fine. Uh, <laughs> I'm asking too many questions.
1: You are. Reel it in. Okay. <laughs> uh, it is also worth noting, though, that they did stay together that whole time. Um, even though Shakespeare spent a lot of his life in London while she raised children in Stratford, they did have three children. So, eh. Hey, yeah. I mean, to quote Tevia, what is... Marriage, what is love? It's sticking together, right? Like that's um, yeah. That's not a direct quote, is it? No, it's I'm paraphrasing a whole song. Do you love me? Do I love him? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also think it's important to note that um, a lot of scholars, and I'm not going to call myself a scholar, but I'm also going to say that I do also believe this, I think that Shakespeare was a big old bisexual. Mm. Yep. Uh, it is worth noting that a lot of his most romantic sonnets are written explicitly to a young golden-haired man. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of them, which I think is an important one that I'd like to talk about, a lot of everybody uses it in their weddings. <laughs> and it's not a poem you should use in your weddings, guys. What is it? It's the stalker poem, is what it is. Which one is it? Love is not love which alters when it alteration finds. It is an ever fixed mark. Oh. Yeah. Love is not love which alters when it alterations finds. It is an ever fixed mark. So even if she or he is telling you to go away and you're not, that's love. <laughs> I will always love you. Oh, that is problematic. Isn't, isn't that so upsetting? Yeah. So I, that was made clear to me in the Shakespeare class I took. And holy shit, it upsets me every time we use it at a wedding. Mm. <laughs> like, I will stalk you until the end of our well, days. Well, it's okay
0: because legally they have to be together. <sighs> you know? <laughs> love is
1: not love which alters when it alteration finds. If somebody's telling you that they don't love you, you should go away from them, guys. Mm. Just like... A professional tip from your Aunt Kate. Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't want to get into Shakespeare's sexuality, though. I will say that the removal, like the literal physical removal of these notations about a golden youth kind of peak bisexual erasure. Yeah. <laughs> but we don't, it's it's a sticky subject. And assigning modern sexuality to figures who don't live in this modern world mm-hmm. is a fool's errand.
0: Well, I'm just going to keep thinking William Shakespeare, bi-icon or bi-con. <laughs> Beautiful. I don't think he'd be mad about it. Yeah. Um, now, once he gets married,
1: into the middle of his life, we have no fucking idea where he is. He just kind of falls off the record. There's Went no... Went out of Bender. <laughs> I mean... With that golden hair <laughs> It's possible. We don't... They're called Shakespeare's lost years, and we, we genuinely don't know what the fuck he was doing. He could have been anywhere. He probably doesn't either. Right. I mean... <laughs> he could have been in Italy a lot of his plays are set in Italy Um, he could have been I don't know elsewhere Um, we don't know if he was in Stratford we don't know what he was doing we just don't know they're his lost years Uh, a lot of speculation is out there Eh. Um, but we do know that eventually he gets into acting we don't know how we don't know when it's interesting to note that acting at that point in time is not regulated by a guild guilds existed to regulate an industry and part of that regulation was making sure that the people who were in it were producing quality craft for example some of the guild halls in Amsterdam, very famously during the Golden Age of Dutch culture, mm. uh, yes. the the painters there was a painters guild, mm-hmm. and they wanted to regulate, you know, who was teaching these young young buck youth. Um, making sure that the art that they were producing was quality, making sure that the subject matter that they were choosing was appropriate, kind of just having a general uh, effect mm-hmm. on the careers as well. Also, like a pseudo union too. It is kind of like a pseudo union. Yeah, uh, making sure that the wages are not too low, which, not a bad idea for anybody. We do know that by 1592, he was a player and a playwright in London. In 1594, he was a partner in the Lord Chamberlain's Men. Have you ever seen Shakespeare in Love? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Obviously. Shakespeare in Love is a lot of fun. It does take some liberties, but it also uses some of these 70 concrete facts that we have, and it weaves them into the story. So it gives you kind of a firm place to stand. Um, the Lord Chamberlain's Men operated out of the Globe Theater, mm. very famously. Mm-hmm. The Globe Theater. Yes. Uh, it's an important place, Jen. You've been there, right? I've been there twice. Uh, it's beautiful. Lucky. Reproduction. Of course it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually kind of a reproduction of itself. Yep. Because in 1599, they had to steal it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So (laughs) they owned the timbers that made up the building. Mm -hmm. They owned the timber and the nails, but not the land that it sat upon. And so these these players, (laughs) they had been told by their landlord, the person who owned, The physical land that their father, Richard Burbage, James Burbage, Richard Burbage's father, had set this theater up. And 28 years previous, they had come to this agreement, allegedly, that when 28 years had passed, the building would be part of the land. Mm. And he would be able to charge them forever, even though the timber was owned by the Lord Chamberlain's men. So one Christmas, I believe, and forgive me, guys, I didn't re-research this one, uh, but they they took a time when everybody was away at a holiday, and they literally deconstructed, they pulled down the whole theater board by board, went across the river into Southwark, and rebuilt the whole goddamn thing. Wow. Yeah, they stole the globe. That's amazing. In 1599. (laughs) We also know that by 1596, Shakespeare was adding his name two posters as a selling point. So it was Shakespeare's Richard the Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, things like that. And then he got out of the game. What? He made enough money. He was ready to retire. Oh. Uh, So he went back to Stratford right around uh, the year 1600. He was very prosperous. In the early 17th century, he had enough money to satisfy himself. Went back to Stratford and really only visited London about once or twice a year to continue doing some work. Mm. Um, Like we know he...
0: Okay, because this is going to come up later. (laughs) Okay.
1: Uh, We know that he would perform in some of his plays just to kind of keep his hand in. He was uh, the ghost in Hamlet at one point. Wonderful. Okay, good. Is that... No, no, okay. helping you? Yes,
0: yes. Okay. <laughs> You're um, going to have a dispute. <laughs>
1: no, he was still around. Okay. Um, but it, it was secondary now. Gotcha. Uh, and now he was really focused on kind of solidifying his name. So he began to do what all great capitalists do. <laughs> he started to diversify his holdings.
0: Oh, yes.
1: He started buying land, putting in tenant farmers... Uh, he got him with a sheep game, like all good Stratford men.
0: Uh, that's a noted strategy for uh, succeeding in Catan. Sure, sure, and it works. Got to <laughs> yeah. get them sheeps, babe. Sheep port. Mm-hmm. You got oh, some sheep for my wood?
1: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just leave that there. Yes. <laughs> um, now, eventually, he dies. Uh, he dies rather unexpectedly. He'd actually gone out drinking with some friends Caught fever, dead the next day. Dead, you know. Sad. Yeah, it was. Uh, It was unexpected. He uh, caught a fever and that was it. Um, But he was buried at the Holy Trinity Church, where that bust Mm -hmm. uh, is. And he had bought his way for 440 pounds. That is not a small amount of money. Yeah. That is big swinging dick money. (laughs) So he had bought his way into having a burial just beneath the altar at
0: the holy trinity yeah that's like the best place to be
1: yes it is yes it is um and he when he was buried he had a stone over his head that has very famously has a curse uh give me a second what is it hang on (laughs) i shall tell you the the line that he penned to be put on his tomb is very interesting okay i'm gonna quote it here in more modern script good friend for jesus sake forbear To dig this dust enclosed here. Blessed be the man that spares these stones, and cursed be he that moves my bones. That's so extra. Very extra. I love it. (laughs) So Shakespeare had some very real concerns about his body being moved. And a lot of people, actually, people who don't believe that Shakespeare is Shakespeare, (laughs) idiots. (laughs) Idiots. They actually say that this piece of writing, this last line of Shakespeare's, is so petty and commonplace, it can't be the same person who wrote those amazing monologues. Disagree. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you. So it's, it's worth noting that in the 17th century, it was really common for grave robberies to happen. Hmm. People were interested in collecting body parts kind of as a throwback to Catholic saints. Um, oh, yeah. You know, like a relic, I think it's called a reliquary. relic yeah. Well,
0: reliquary? a relic is the thing. Right. A reliquary is what keeps the thing. Well, there you go. Uh, as you can tell, I was never a Catholic. I was an art history minor, and so basically that's the study of the Catholic Church. <laughs> oh, God, that makes so much sense. Yep.
1: Yep. Uh, so, anyway, he was not wrong to be worried about his bones being moved. It was also really common back then. To move bodies to make more space yeah what is our favorite history fact Jen? we mm. we've referenced it a number
0: of times on the show yeah that the churchyards where it looks like the churches are sinking into the ground but mm-hmm. really it's the ground rising up from all the bodies in it <laughs> the accumulated mass of bodies in English churchyards is
1: such that you can see it looks like churches are being sucked into the ground, but it's not really happening. The bodies are just creating so much additional mass. Pile up of bodies. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was recently watching, re-watching Downton mm-hmm. Abbey for yeah. like the ninth time. Yeah. And as they do all the graveyard walking past Matthew's grave, you can really tell that it's like shoulder high with bodies up in that bitch.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, <Yikes.
1: laughs> uh It's really fascinating. It's a small island. <laughs> And that, of course, <laughs> fact comes from love of our life, Bill, Bill Bryson. Bryson. Thank you. So he had some, it, it wasn't an invalidated concern that somebody was going to move him. Uh, one of my personal heroes from uh, West Michigan was a woman named Marie La Lafonbois mm-hmm. And she was uh, a Native American fur trader who, she made tons of money.
0: Mm-hmm. She was
1: making five to ten times as much money as the average fur trader. Hell Yeah. And when she retired, she retired to Mackinac Island, where she had enough money. She was a Catholic. Anyway, she had enough money to start St. Anne's Catholic Church, which is a massive site on Mackinac Island. And part of the condition for her starting this church was that she and her daughter should be buried underneath the altar. Yeah. She's not. What? They moved her. Assholes. You can't trust a Catholic. That's what it is. No, (laughs) That's not fair. (laughs) Um, No, they moved her. Um, I I don't know what their exact reasoning was, but eventually they moved her outside into like a stages of a cross area. Mm -hmm. She has a marble tomb out there. I hope Um, it's big. I mean, she uh, human-sized. Okay. Uh, then when I went to Mackinac a couple years ago, mm-hmm. they had actually moved her inside to her. They, they started a like a, a museum about life on the Catholic life on the island, and so she's like in their museum, and you you have to walk through the gift shop to get in there, and walk back oh, out through the gift shop to get out. Questionable. Uh huh. <laughs> so she got moved. <laughs> Bill Shakespeare was not wrong. Yeah. To be worried about this. Um, but it's such a convincing line of poem, Cursed be he that moves my bones. I oh, love it. People have basically left him alone. Scholars have left him alone. I read in one of these articles that I listed at the beginning that um, he Holy Trinity Church gets over 200,000 visitors per year, mostly there to see Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. So they thought he was left alone. In yes. 2008, they did a big cleaning. And in that time period... Uh, they did some investigation into just the just the stones. They did not move the bones of William Shakespeare.
0: Mm. Yeah, because who would want to mess with that, <laughs>
1: right? It's a big-ass poem from yeah. some or big-ass, big-ass threat. Yeah. Um, so in 2008, they go in and they did some repairs, and they noticed that things were not what they were expecting, yes. which led to a further investigation in 2015. Let me just flip here. This is from the Guardian article, Shakespeare's skull probably stolen by grave robbers study for I had never heard of this. In all of my Shakespeare fangirling, mm-hmm. I had never heard of this. Uh, So this had been a rumor for years that grave robbers had stolen Shakespeare's skull, but there'd never been evidence for it. And so finally, uh, they went and had an archaeological team take a look using, uh, effectively, sonar to see if what they thought was true was true. Um, So Kevin Calls, who was the archaeologist who led the team, reported that the grave was not as they had expected, quote, we came across this very odd, strange thing at the head end. It was very obvious within all the data we were getting that there was something different going on at that particular spot. We have concluded it is signs of disturbance, of material being dug out and put back again. Hmm. Now, Shakespeare is not buried the way we bury people today. How, how deep do we bury people today? Well, the typical phrase is six feet under. Yep. Shakespeare is only buried three feet deep. Ooh. Yeah, not very deep at all. And rather than being inside a coffin, he's simply inside a shroud. Hmm. Yeah. Uh very minimal, very easy to get to. Mm-hmm. Um so uh they go on to talk, um, Kevin Cole Coles calls, Kevin calls. There is also, quote, a very strange brick structure, end quote, that cuts across the head of the grave. All of that gives credence Hmm. that a story that they found way back in 1879 claiming that Shakespeare's skull had been stolen, they're saying that, yeah, maybe this really happened. Grave robbing was
0: big back then. Mm -hmm. Uh, Plus, if you were going to steal any part of Shakespeare... The head, yeah. 100%. And one of the reasons that they were stealing... Bodies back then, especially the bodies of geniuses, was to look at their skulls and try and figure out what Phrenology. made them geniuses. Girl, you got it. But you also, know. you know he's probably serving us some companies like Yorick. Right. <laughs> Alas, poor Yorick.
1: Well, this is a museum problem. A lot of museums have bodies on mm-hmm. display, like human mm-hmm. remains, that yeah. they have no fucking idea where they came from. It's problematic at best. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of it springs from... The history
0: of museums. Well, yeah, there was just a time where people were just looting everything. Yeah. And, yeah, so yeah. a lot of museum collections have very dubious uh, origins. And and a lot of those things should be
1: repatriated if they can figure out where they're from. Hello, NAGPRA. That's right, NAGPRA, <laughs> which is the uh, Native Graves Repatriation Act, right? Native American graves and Repatriation Act. I wrote a paper on it once. It's a it's a good thing. Um, it's one of the things that American museums are doing well. Uh, I don't trying to right, right. It's harder I, than it sounds. It is. It's very difficult, uh, especially with the way groups have moved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and that's a really nice way of saying that, isn't it? Groups have moved.
0: Yeah, groups have been moved. Groups have uh, been, been encouraged to cease to exist. Yep. Yep. That's. The most... White people. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yay. <laughs> white people. Um, anyway, so <laughs> these people would have likely stolen Shakespeare's skull as a trophy and has something to study. And we have no idea where it is. There oh, was Jesus. an idea that the real skull was just 15 miles away in a crypt at St. Leonard's Church in the village of Bioli. Boley? Probably Boley. Yeah. It's a, it's English, so I'll just skip half of Sorry, ago. Tiff. Tift, let us know. Um, So they actually went and they investigated that skull, and they found it was of a woman in her 70s. Oh, whoops. And so they were like, "Eh, not Shakespeare. That's that's not it. Yeah. Um, So they still haven't technically exhumed his corpse, but they did use sonar effectively to see that, you know, things are not as they were expected. The head is missing. Yeah. Now, uh, the minister of that church says that they intend to respect the sanctity of the grave in accordance with his wishes and not allow it to be disturbed, and that they sincerely doubt that anybody would have taken those. Well, okay. (laughs) Well, I mean, you don't want your church to get a bad rap for letting famous shit get stolen.
0: But, like, it was probably certainly well before his time. (laughs) So, I mean, you don't have to feel too bad about that. And yet... Security everywhere used to be a bit more lax. (laughs) Um, so that's Reverend
1: Patrick Taylor. Mm-hmm. He is not so certain. And he says, quote, We know much more about how Shakespeare was buried and the structure that lies underneath his ledger stone. We are not convinced, however, that there is sufficient evidence to conclude his skull has been taken. Sounds like
0: someone who doesn't want to admit that his <sighs> skull was taken. His skull was totally taken.
1: Yeah,
0: um, yeah it's. I mean, it's like all those museums that, like, don't want to talk about the heists that have been there
1: yeah i mean they're heisting as opposed to like people heisting stuff out of museums
0: well it's like sometimes museums think that admitting that shit was stolen from them yes is like not a good look not a good look and you know it's not because right. usually they're stolen because their own staff fucked up uh, really oh yeah um there's oh guys maybe we'll have to do a whole episode on this i don't know how well it relates necessarily but like i took a whole <laughs> class on art theft. And it's fucking fascinating. Yep, that's an episode. Um and there's something insane like 90% of museum art heists are inside jobs. Oh, well, that makes sense. Or at least, I mean, it's at the very least it's due to their incompetence <laughs> in security. Sure. Um but I, you know, speaking as somebody who was in
1: museums and isn't anymore, Um, you do start to feel very possessive of a collection that isn't yours. Like Mm -hmm. uh, I recently had a need, (laughs) in a way, (laughs) of the fur kit that I used to use to educate second graders. And so my museum (laughs) kindly let me borrow it. And I discovered that there was stuff missing out of it. And I was
0: pissed. Well, and like arguably, they shouldn't have let you borrow it. (laughs) Right, right.
1: Absolutely. Uh, And the whole thing, I was like, my furs. These are my furs. And I'm like, oh, Kate, you don't work there anymore. These are not your furs. They never were. So it's, I mean, like I get that idea of feeling possessive over these collections. I get it.
0: Uh, We got to be better than that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Uh, and it's also like the... Once you know the price tag on something and you're not being paid very well in the first place, you start being like, I could easily pack this up in a crate and ship it to myself and no one would notice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. So we might come back to that. Who knows? Well, that is all I
1: have for Shakespeare. Kind of a little look at his life and... Mm -hmm his afterlife as it were. Yeah. There I could not find any evidence, any good evidence <laughs> of Shakespeare haunting like the 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 ghost of Shakespeare walking anywhere. I would be interested to hear if anybody else who's been to say Stratford-upon-Avon yeah uh if they know anything like
0: that, but I mean by all rights that church that the rest of his body is in should be haunted by him since his head is missing. But... I mean you would think, but maybe he was just chill with that. Maybe he's just like, you know what? Shit happens, guys. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. He was so extra.
1: Would he have been cool with that? Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bitches, get it together. Yeah. Uh,
0: so, yeah, you talked about his life. I. The first thing I thought of when you suggested this topic was of course the curse of macbeth uh could we call it scottish play no because we don't have to worry about that because we're not in a theater but but we are in a studio and that's kind of well i'm gonna be saying the name a lot so you better get used to it Uh, okay Okay. so uh, the eagle eared people amongst you might have noticed that we opened the show with Eagle eared. You know, it's not like eagle eyed, but eared. The sentient the, amongst you. The, the people who know their Shakespeare ah. might have recognized the scene that we opened up with as coming from the Scottish play. Like Buff, you can have it. It's <laughs> uh, fine. So it opens. If anything bad happens
1: this week, though, I'm putting it on you.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, there's also Mercury, though. So whose fault is it really? Good point. What we can I'm lay is the blame equally on there's you. There's a lot of and the potential universe. for blame here. So, hmm, where to begin? Let me start with some historical context. Uh, so, by the time that Macbeth was written, King James the First was king in England.
1: Oh, I forgot to say something. Okay. Sorry about James the First. Yeah. Uh, James the First became a really big fan of the Chamberlain's Men. And if you had just let me finish. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, okay we'll get to that in a Okay, moment. okay, good. Um,
0: but good on you for... Uh, uh And maybe you'll have more to chime in uh, with in a second. You might be um,
1: hard to stop. I might be hard to stop.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry. I just get so excited. I know. Uh, so King James uh, was crowned King James I in England in 1603. He was already uh the king of scotland he was king james the sixth of scotland he was the son of mary queen of scots so that kind of gives you an idea of who this guy is uh he became king because of course elizabeth the first died without any natural heirs allegedly the virgin queen well (laughs) probably definitely not the virgin queen but But at least walter raleigh at least the childless queen (laughs) yes Uh, so, she didn't have a direct heir. And so, for those of you who may have watched that terrible Mary Queen of Scots movie this summer, Mary Queen of Scots was her next most direct uh, relative mm-hmm. through her father's sister. And so, her son, James, became King of England. And that was kind of the deal that she brokered with Mary at the time. So, Anyway, uh, you might also recognize King James as being the namesake of Jamestown, Virginia. Yeah, that's right. In Uh,
1: 1607, we sailed the open sea. For glory, God, and gold in the Virginia Company. Thank you. I'm sorry, ever since the Henry Hudson thing? Yeah. It's been in my head as I fall asleep every night. Whew. Yeah. For well, the new world is like heaven <laughs> and we'll all be rich and free. Or oh oh, so we have been told by the Virginia
0: Company. I don't know. I've never really investigated the lyrics of that song. but okay. <laughs> So, uh, a quick look at my childhood. Uh, me and all my girl cousins, mm-hmm. we
1: all had different cassette tapes given to us one Christmas of like Disney movies, and we went ape shit. We like assigned roles. Everybody had parts <laughs> to sing. It was so like, I know every word to Anastasia. I know every word to Pocahontas and every word right. to Lion King. That's good. We are very thorough. Yeah
0: uh yeah so that that's that king james he also sponsored a new version of the bible uh now known as the king james version which the crappy version a lot of people will like be like oh we only read the kjv because it's the most accurate because apparently jesus spoke in 17th century english like it doesn't. I wish you could see my face right now. It doesn't make any sense. I know it's so stupid. It it's just fine. it's because it includes these and thou, and so people think that that's inherently more holy or ye oldie. And fun fact, at that time, thee and thou was the casual form. Yeah. And you was the more formal. Mm. So. Yep. yep. Yeah, Isn't it's funny because it's completely backwards now.
1: Um, that reminds me of the Tiffany problem. Hmm. Tiffany sounds like a name from like the 1960s. Oh my God! Yes. Okay. Yeah. I just saw this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Tiffany is a nickname for Theodora, and it goes all the way back to like the 14th century. That's insane. <laughs> and but people think that if you use that, because there's these these strong perceptions about what the past was. Yeah. And so if you if you named one of your characters like Tiffany of Stratford, people be like Tiffany. Really? Her name was <laughs> Tiffany. Sure. I was like, no, for well, real. Really, like that could have been her name. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So, yeah, King James uh, was also interested in theater. And as you uh, alluded Interjected. Yeah, interjected. <laughs> Violently. Uh, he was a fan of Shakespeare and was a patron of his company, uh, which was called? The King's Men. Thank you. Well, originally it was the Lord Chamberlain's Men, ah. named for
1: the Lord Chamberlain, who was their predecessor mm-hmm. uh, patron. But when the king says, I want you to be my private players, you say yes. Yeah.
0: So Shakespeare was very grateful for that patronage. Patronage? Whatever. Could be. Both. Yeah, I, I like both. Um, and so a lot of people think that Macbeth is his like personal thank you to King James because it's set in Scotland. hmm and also, it deals with spooky things. Mm-hmm. Something he loves. Something King James was interested in because he wrote um, a tract that's titled Demonology, spelled D-A-E-M-O-N, <laughs> Demonology. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote it in 1597, and it's a tract that inspired, <laughs> that inspired by his involvement in witch hunts. Not so great. Not so great. <laughs> Uh, Scotland, they burned quite a few witches. Yeah, they burned a lot of witches. Burned, in... not hung. Yes. Which I think hanged. is a, ugh, Fine, you're right. This is my one grammatical thing that I will fight and die on that hill. Person is hanged, a uh, picture is hung. Yes. While I agree that you are technically
1: correct, the minute somebody dies, they become a thing. So. Mm. Mm, mm. No, you're right. No. That's a. That's. Anyway. Yeah. America we I hanged think, witches. Which I think is less cruel. <sighs> Burning is slow yeah. and it's painful and it's scary the whole time. Um, and there's dread and it's so public. Mm-hmm. It's a horrible way to die.
0: Yeah. So uh, a brief summary of Macbeth. Uh, if you are unfamiliar. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, basically, a brave Scottish general named Macbeth. This is according to Wikipedia, by the way. <laughs> receives a prophecy from a trio of witches which we were quoting at the beginning, um, that one day he will become King of Scotland. Uh, consumed by ambition and spurred to action by his wife, Macbeth murders King Duncan and takes the Scottish throne for himself. He is then racked with guilt and paranoia, forced to commit more and more murders to protect himself, from the enmity and suspicion, he soon becomes a tyrannical ruler. The bloodbath and consequent civil war swiftly take Macbeth and Lady Macbeth into the realms of madness and death. Mm-hmm. Guys, it's yeah, like I have gone back and forth about Macbeth because it's like, oh, I love it. It's it captures anxiety very well, mm. and I saw a particular. Uh, rendition it's the Ian McKellen and Judy Dench yes. version and guys that will drive you insane because there is no set yeah. it is filmed in a complete black void yeah and it I watched it also like before school started there was this whole thing that my English teacher did it was she called it movie and a muffin and on Fridays she would show a movie at like 5am <laughs> and Fun. you'd show up before school probably in your pajamas and she would serve you muffins and cocoa That sounds and really watch, nice. like a classic movie it was
1: great well that's a really good rendition of Macbeth there's another good one that's set in like a 1930s insane asylum in Russia so it's like it's like very bleak yeah um and that one is with Sir Patrick Stewart
0: oh okay yeah so like this play kind of exists to make you like get into the mindset of someone who's completely paranoid. There's some good comedic moments, though. Sure. There are. I don't remember any of those, but what I remember most is the out-damn spot. Yes, Um, out-damn-spot. Yeah. (laughs) So good. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's good. But from pretty much the beginning, it's been associated with curses. And people have a weird superstition about it, and I'm gonna go ahead and get into that right now. First of all, fun fact there was a real King Macbeth, Macduff, and Duncan in Scottish history, mm-hmm. according to Hollinshed's Chronicles, written in 1587. Um, but obviously, the play is quite different. Yes. So. Okay, so uh, this information that I have about the curse of Macbeth comes from an article called Macbeth's Myriad of Misfortunes written by Robert Fairs, and that was published in the Austin Chronicle um, in 2018. Um, so basically the curse is traced all the way back to its opening night in 1606. Some people kind of dispute whether it was 1606 or 1611. Sure, sure. But there is um, allegedly an account by John Aubrey, who um, supposedly knew some of the men who performed with Shakespeare. And he wrote that on the opening night of the show, on August 7th, 1606, a boy named Hal Barrage was playing Lady Macbeth. As you know, and a lot of people might know, during Shakespeare's time, the roles of women were exclusively played by men, usually teenage boys. Prepubescent. Yeah. So So they still had high voices. Yeah. So this boy, Hal Berridge, was playing Lady Macbeth. During the show, he caught a sudden illness and died. But the show must go on, so Shakespeare was forced to step and play the part instead. I don't think I did know that. He played the part of Lady Macbeth? Of Lady Macbeth. I'll be goddamned. No. What year was that? 1607? 1606. Allegedly. However... Don't get too attached to the idea because this story has been proven to be the fabrication of English critic Max Beerbohm, who included the story in an 1898 review of the play and ascribed it to Aubrey. So Aubrey did not write this. Boo. It's a 19th century fabrication. God, they were big on that in the 19th century. Yeah. If we can't. Find it, we'll make it up. Oh, but that goes all the way back to Herodotus. Yeah, you're (laughs) not wrong. Father of, of the craft of history has a famous quote about if the story isn't good enough for you, you make it up. I don't remember exactly how it goes, but that is the general gist of it. And I think it just set... A certain tone for the entire practice and study of history that is just
1: yep mm-hmm. yeah and you know people will say well you guys are doing that too and
0: you're probably not wrong yeah we are inheriting that listen the entire this is why we're still studying history is because nobody has gotten it right yet <laughs> and also we'll never know <laughs> right okay so the alleged first opening night thing happening didn't Didn't happen. Didn't really happen. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. But a lot of things have happened. and Like verifiable things. Verifiable events. There's a reason to be
1: worried about this. Have
0: happened. And a lot of people have wondered why. And those people tend to go back to the actual subject matter of the play itself. Mm -hmm. And uh, kind of come up with ideas based on that. So as I mentioned, a play opens up with three witches hanging around a cauldron. Shakespeare had to write the material for them to be reciting as you know they're on stage before Macbeth shows up. Um, so he had to get this material from somewhere. And a lot of people think that he lifted it from witches.
1: Oh, like actual, like that's an actual spell.
0: Yeah, I am not completely sure what sections they're referring to. I haven't tracked down the veracity of this claim, but a lot of people think that at least sections of this opening scene are lifted from actual rituals that... I've never done any sort of, like, cauldron conjure. Yeah.
1: Um. So I can't speak to that. But mm-hmm. what I will say is that a lot of witchcraft is based on intent and as actors, one of the things that they encourage you to do is to try and be inside your character and to follow their motives and motivations, mm-hmm. which are their intents.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that is one idea that the witches are reciting actual spells and that's actually casting a spell. Possibly. However, I think most people believe that the curse comes from actual witches who heard about and were pissed the play and were pissed that they were appropriating their culture. <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah, I can see um, that too. Yeah, so they think that Shakespeare lifted spells that are included in an authentic black magic ritual that were sacred to a sect of real witches, if you were, or pagans. Right. Or. And so they heard about it, got upset, and placed a curse on the play and all of its productions. Wow, that is some vengeful shit. <laughs> yeah. So things have happened. Regardless of what happened on the opening night, it wasn't performed much within the first few decades of its existence. Well,
1: I can't imagine in Puritan England that this would have gone over particularly well.
0: Yeah, I mean, arguably the Puritans weren't very popular in England, which is why they right. left. Um, True. <laughs> but there's also rumors that James the 1st didn't like it. Um, I couldn't really track down Any exactly verification like verification of that because he wasn't necessarily against the idea of witches because he right. took, play, took part in witch hunts. Um, so maybe he thought like, oh, it's glorifying witches or something. I I don't know. There's rumors he didn't like it, but I don't know that for sure.
1: There's also something about women in this play uh lady macbeth is really the person with the fucking problem
0: Mm -hmm.
1: uh macbeth is just kind of a dude yeah but his wife's ambition is what sets things into motion and in the end she's the one who kills king duncan
0: yeah yeah i'm trying (laughs) to remember (laughs) that's where the blood on her that's where the blood on her hands comes from Yeah. yeah so i mean he could also just be taking issue with People taking the monarchy into their own hands and oh, killing the king. Oh, that's a very good
1: point. Yeah, regicide is not yeah. a subject to be taken lightly in in this time period, or really
0: any time period. Yeah, so it was performed in for the first time in 1606. And it really didn't get seen again for a few decades. Like, I think it was five years later, actually, that the next production of it was. But other than that, it really wasn't shown much. Um, the first production outside of England was in 1672 in Amsterdam. Hmm. and Another Protestant nation. Yes. Um, and there's, so I'm going to quote from Robert Fair's um, article. Uh, he says that the story goes that the actor... Running the company chose to present Macbeth's Murder of King Duncan on stage instead of off as Shakespeare wrote it. So, I mean, this is not necessarily a curse of things going wrong, but this is like the actor being like... That's a pretty strong... I'm going to settle a score. Yeah. Um, uh, He writes, as he was playing the title role himself and had become intimate with the wife of the actor playing Duncan, <laughs> a genuine enmity arose between his this Scottish lord and his king, and one night he brought a real dagger <gasps> on stage and dispatched Duncan for real. Are you serious? I guess so. Holy shit. Although, also, according to this quote, I guess it must be Macbeth himself that kills Duncan, not Lady Macbeth. I guess we're I love remembering the, things. I, yeah, I, I really, I haven't seen it in years. Is that terrible? No.
1: Oh. Maybe we'll rewatch. <laughs> yeah, we should. Yeah. Wow, I feel like I really would have said she's the one who does the stabbing.
0: Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I think she probably kills someone. Or maybe she doesn't. Maybe it's just her talking people into it. Wow, there's probably at least a couple of people who are like screaming I know. at her. Right in, guys. It Put it in the it's group. Right. <laughs> We're sorry. We probably should have looked this up, but
1: oh well. <laughs> um, at our school, we definitely read this one. Yeah. Um, and I haven't, I really haven't covered it much since I don't then. think I've
0: read it since then. we um, seen it since then. You,
1: do you know why this one is popular in high schools, along with Julius Caesar? No. What? There's no sex. <laughs> a lot of Shakespeare's plays are like full-on sex-eating, yeah, sex-sex. I get that. And so they can't have that, so they do a lot of like the war-based Shakespeare mm-hmm.
0: Well they they also do Romeo and Juliet but they do
1: do Romeo and Juliet but and... that's because it's Romeo and Juliet it's yeah. arguably the second most famous work.
0: Yeah. Anyway, um so and it's so much more accessible than Hamlet. <laughs> yeah. So later, there was, there was a London performance during the reign of King Charles II, our good-time king. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and again, according to uh, the author, a, a real blade also ended in a real death during the performance. The Duke's men, the only company licensed by Charles II to perform Macbeth at the time, were performing the play in the early 1670s and came to the climactic duel between Macbeth and Macduff. Actor Henry Harris, playing the man not of woman-born, and accidentally ran his sword through the eye of the actor playing Macbeth, killing him. Shut up.
1: That's a bad way to go. Your brain is right there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So there's, like, two, like, pretty, you know... Gnarly fucking stage deaths. Yeah, and to be clear... There's been a lot of stage deaths, and not all of them are during productions of Macbeth. Right. So The stage is also kind of... I mean, we've covered this it's in dangerous. our theater things before. Mm-hmm. Circuses
1: are the same problem. Yeah. You know, I I would imagine that it would horrify the audience as well. Yeah. You
0: know? I, so when I was researching this, I, one of my questions was, I wonder how many people have died during productions of Shakespeare. And I came across a Wikipedia article that's a list of entertainers who have died on stage. God bless Wikipedia. Breathe through it, guys. Donate to Wikipedia. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, anyway, so the curse is also tied to kind of cataclysmic events that happen around. It's production, too, so it doesn't have to be directly tied to the actors on stage. Okay. Um, there was a revival of the play that opened in 1703 in London, I assume. During that time, Southern and Central England were hit with the equivalent of a Category 2 hurricane, which toppled 2,000 chimneys in London, causing a million pounds in damage and killing 1,500 seamen. Yeah. I knew you're gonna. Yep. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Make a face. <laughs> so, it's... <laughs> it's equivalent to a lot to... of children weren't
1: gonna be born that day. <laughs> <laughs> she swallowed, and it killed them. Yeah. Um. No, I'm sorry. Uh, Fifteen hundred. No, that's that's yeah, a lot of dead people. It's a lot of dead people. Yeah. Although I feel like the chimneys falling, like it just makes me think of like the two pots on top tumbling off. 'Cause like a Category Two hurricane is not that bad.
0: No, I mean, and early 1700s London. I mean, you don't know how good those chimneys are. That's true. When was the Great Fire, though? That was uh, 1666. Okay,
1: so these are probably rebuilt anyway. Right. So yeah, I I can always remember that one because it's 666. Oh yeah, fun. Um yeah okay well still uh hurricanes
0: as we're finding are not they're not easy for anybody. No, uh, I mean, um, and that's certainly a lot of damage can it really be attributed to a play being performed Mm, probably not uh so anyway but that was that came up in 1721 uh, there was a nobleman watching the show from the stage which is is a thing um if you go to the globe theater you'll see that there's a balcony and there's also it was just a thing back in the day that important people used to get real close and personal with the actors they could sit on stage because Probably the audience was as much there to see them as to see the the play. Absolutely. So anyway, so this guy is sitting on the stage watching the show when he sees a friend of his sitting in another area. So he gets up, walks across the stage in the middle of the show. Fucking rude. To go talk to his friend. Please tell me he falls off the stage and dies. The actors got so upset they drew their swords and drove the man and his friend from the theater. Good. This is only correct. <laughs> the nobleman retaliated by burning the theater down. <laughs> yeah. Entitled white man strikes again. Yeah. So uh, let this be a lesson to Do you. Don't disrupt production. I mean, I guess he got the last laugh, but like, what the fuck? Yeah. yeah. You know, I just, on the other hand, mm-hmm. I, I
1: wish that more audience members would rise up with their swords against people who like have their cell phones on. Mm-hmm. You and I just saw Fiddler. Yeah. And we were watching from our spots all of these people who had their fucking cell phones on in the yeah. middle of the show. And it's not like they
0: were trying to bootleg this Grand Rapids performance of Fiddler on the Roof. They were just straight up scrolling through Facebook. Like,
1: how... Rude. I
0: swear to... And, like,
1: then it takes me out of the performance. Yeah. And, like, bitch, this Stop is it. my one thing. Yeah. <laughs> I get to. This
0: is the one thing I spend money on. You paid... Like, they paid money for this, too, and you're going to spend it fucking scrolling through Facebook. I just... Some people should be burned alive. (laughs) All right.
1: (laughs) Too far? All right, too far.
0: (laughs) Whatever. Anyway, moving on. In 1775, the actress playing Lady Macbeth fell ill, uh, which is going to be a recurring theme, I guess, throughout time, forcing 21-year-old Sarah Siddons to take over the role with one day's notice. Yikes. And that's, I mean, any any Shakespeare is going to be impossible to learn in one day. So... Naturally, she did a pretty bad job, and according to the article, she did such a bad job that the audience nearly, quote, ravaged her. Oh. I don't know if he means what we generally think of when we hear the word ravaged, as in sexually assaulted. right Or if it was more just... Physically violent, but. Or maybe it just been like ripping off her clothes and that I physical violence. Know. Maybe there's like a middle ground there. Yeah, but that is the word used. Yikes. Yeah, so that's always a danger. Now, my favorite story that I found. <laughs> Did you know that there was a riot in New York over the performance of Mechbath? No. When? 1849. Let me tell you.
1: Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Is there a famous assassin's brother
0: involved? Oh, God, I wish. So close. Okay. <laughs> I will get there. Okay. Um, <laughs> I had the same thought. This this source uh, comes from the article, The Astor Place Riot slash Shakespeare Riots of 1849, written by Miguel Hernandez, uh, which was published in the New York History blog in 2017. So the date... March 7th, 1849, English actor William Charles MacReady was set to play Macbeth in an American production in New York. That's a very famous name, MacReady. MacReady. William Charles MacReady. Well, he was a very famous English actor. However, he found himself confronted with scores of angry working-class New Yorkers, mainly comprised of Irish immigrants, who booed, hissed, and threw eggs. So much so that they shut the production down.
1: Wow. That's not a small thing for a producer to do.
0: Yeah. So why did a bunch of Irish immigrants, working class immigrants, care about a production of Macbeth? I have a few ideas. Yes? Uh, because of the famine? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, well, no, that's not the direct, but that's probably a contributing factor. They were not pleased with the English... As a rule. Yeah, I mean, the Irish historically are not fans of the English. And but it, it wasn't, it's notable that it wasn't just Irish people who were upset. It was mostly, so according to this blog, it's mostly a class thing. So the upper class Americans at that time, especially New York, obsessed with English. Okay. History, aristocracy. Yep, this is the birth of the dollar, Duchess. This is the This is the Gilded Age. This is the dollar princesses where... Every rich American family was trying to get their daughter a title mm-hmm. because they really admired the whole nobility class structure and how that provided so much social security for them. Imagine thinking that the English class structure is to be admired. Yeah. Well, that's what that's all American society wanted was an official title and for someone to be like, you belong because. Oh, God, okay, this is another subject I could talk about endlessly. But in uh, American society was notoriously cutthroat, especially mm-hmm. in New York, uh, especially with the Astors. Yeah. They had Mrs. Astor's 400. And I don't know if that was exactly at this time. I, it's somewhere it's in, in the Gilded era. Age. Mm-hmm. It's in this era where... Uh, even having money is not a guaranteed spot in the upper class. Look at Consuela Vanderbilt. She yeah. couldn't get in. She couldn't get in. There were so many people, especially if you were Midwest money. Like Cora in Downton Abbey. She's from Toledo. Yeah. So if you couldn't hack it in New York society, often they would go abroad and marry a continental or preferably English yep. aristocrat. Um, so they were obsessed with English and English culture. And so the lower <laughs> class hated that. And so they see this English actor in an American production. He might have been titled as well. MacReady? Could have been. I don't know. It, there's no title in front of his name, but okay. I don't know. Uh, he was a famous English actor anyway. Yeah. Um, and so they were pissed. There was also an Ameri- another production of Macbeth going on blocks away. Okay. That was featuring an American actor, Edwin Forrest. Damn (laughs) it! I know everyone wanted it to be Edwin Booth. (laughs) For those of you who don't know, John Wilkes
1: Booth, John Wilkes Booth's brother, uh, was a very famous uh, New York Shakespearean actor. There's actually a statue of Edwin Booth Mm -hmm.
0: at the American Stratford or the American Theatre. The son of Abraham Lincoln from being killed by the subway. Isn't that, you
1: know? Well, not just, I mean, he was also a really great actor. Yeah, he He was was a great actor, but he was the Brad Pitt of his day. Yeah. Or somebody who's a better idea than Brad Pitt. I don't know, Leonardo DiCaprio? Mm. Who's the
0: person of our day? We don't know. I guess we're not allowed to know because it's still our day. Yeah. The minute we know we'll it's see. over. We'll see. So, yeah, there's these two kind of rival productions of Macbeth being put on blocks away from each other, featuring rival actors from different countries who have just these really intense fan bases. Yeah. So, yeah, the the working class um People, they shut down this production. McCready was so upset and he informed the press that he would be leaving. He's like, I'm not going to put up with this shit. <laughs> but his fans in the upper class New York society urged him to stay and perform at the Astor Opera House. and they, uh, And he agreed. And the show was rescheduled for May 10th. Now, they wanted to prevent any further mischief from happening, so they put a number of precautions in place. (laughs) So fans of McCready bought up all the seats in the theater so that none of the working-class riffraff would be able to attend. They wouldn't have been able to attend anyways. Tickets Broadway, New York tickets have always been too high. Yeah, but apparently they were able to get into the theater the first time. Oh, that's a good point. Okay. I don't know. So they wanted to prevent that, so they bought up all the, the tickets um, way ahead of time. The windows of the theater were boarded up. They enlisted the help of city police, but also the, the 7th Regiment New York Volunteers, Ugh. which is a militia made up mostly of upper-class citizens so much so that it was nicknamed the blue bloods so here's this militia of rich assholes who they were ordered to stand by in nearby washington square park that means that they have mounted troops light artillery and hussars i can't i can never remember how to pronounce that um a total of 350 men added to the 100 policemen outside the theater in support of the 150 inside the theater Additional policemen were ordered uh, to protect the homes in the area of the city's quote upper tens upper ten percent right rich people. So consider for just a second yeah
1: that that means there are about five hundred armed men. I'm
0: glad you did that math. Yeah, f- to protect uh, to protect a whoa. theater full of rich people yeah. and one man. And well, that's and- the most American thing I've ever
1: heard. Mm-hmm. This is peak American. Yeah. <laughs> just like, we're going to put... We are we are willing to defend the right for our wealthiest people to be as casually yeah. awful
0: yeah. as... Pop, oh. Or even just casual. Like, they, they just can't have... They can't take a no, ever. They pulled all of their privilege into this production. They wanted it to happen. They wanted it to happen with their man, and they wanted no one to be able to say a thing about it wow stay tuned how many irish people die well (laughs) so meanwhile the opposition crowd gathered in a spot called the five corners downtown they were led by a tammany hall man named isaiah reinders who is considered the de facto leader of the five points street gangs which i'm like Gangs of New York. is yeah. that what's going on here? It seems like that's what's going on here. The mm-hmm. so Rinders distributed handbills that read, in all caps, "Shall Americans or English rule this city?" <laughs> oh, so extra. Yeah, this is this is shaping up to be quite the event. By the time the play opened at seven thirty as many as 10,000 Irish and other working-class immigrants filled the streets around the theater. So, yeah, all these rich assholes pulled all their privilege to protect and basically make a fortress of this theater, but it sounds like
1: they had kind of a reason to. (laughs) Would they have had a reason to had they not
0: done it? Exactly. I just... Yeah, it's kind of like, mm, I feel like there's so many situations that could be relatable to this because it's like, here's a thing that, like, People do not want to happen. And then they're like, we're going to make it happen. But we're going to enlist all the police to help protect us. This is sounding very... um, At what point in time do you just take the no? mm -hmm. Like, all right. I mean, does it not remind you of all these, like super right-wing like demonstrations that are going on Yes, and they get all the police to help them out well i mean historically yes i mean the the yeah and then the people who show up to protest them are are the antifa and and suddenly they're the assholes yes yeah Mm. wow yeah but this is about a theater (laughs) right (laughs) so
1: so Um, i mean like check your privilege even further this is about the upper crust being able to see hamlet
0: no, Macbeth. Or Macbeth. <laughs> they <laughs> want to see Macbeth with their preferred actor. Right. Not even the other guy down the street. This is like... This guy. Getting so mad about whether you want Benedict Cumberbatch or Brad Pitt to, pay Mac- to play Macbeth that you want to kill people over it.
1: Or in that I sort of get.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'd kill people over it. But right. Oh, you'd be mad, and I'm not saying they're wrong. I certainly do have a, <laughs> a preference for Benedict Cumberbatch over Brad Pitt. Well, yeah, he was just the first American actor I pulled out of my hat. Yeah. Um, hmm. Who would be Who would be better? Who would be a real challenge for you? Leo. Okay. Yeah, we'll go with Leo. It'd be Leo. Yeah. Actually, I bet you Leo would be brilliant at Macbeth. Oh,
1: he'd yeah. be great. We'll put it into the universe.
0: <sighs> okay. So there's ten thousand people around this theater that is being guarded by about 500 police armed police and that's an important lesson for the rich there's always more of us than there are of you exactly uh, so they started bombarding the theater with stones uh fought with the police and tried to set the theater on fire oh. i think from inside the theater i think they got people in and oh, they tried to set bad. it on fire that's and it, bad luckily it didn't work that's i don't approve of that you yeah lose me there yeah, setting setting places on fire where people are within—that's mm-hmm. not—that's not okay. That's yeah. Um, according to the New York Tribune, um, as one window after another cracked, the pieces of bricks and paving stones rattled in on the terraces and lobbies. The confusion increased till the opera house resembled a fortress besieged by an invading army, rather than a place meant for the peaceful amusement of civilized community. <laughs> No peace under capitalism, no justice, no peace. Yeah, this is... It's like, I can't tell what side I'm on. (laughs) I mean, I know what side I'm on. I mean, I do. I do, too. But But also, yeah, don't attack people at
1: the theater. I'm just...
0: Like, I, I read this whole story with just like... Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe this happened. You people. Yeah. Um, The 7th Regiment, um, a.k.a. the Blue Bloods, mm-hmm. arrived at 915 and were immediately met with stones and other objects being thrown at them by the protesters. They held their ground and after several warnings, fired into the crowd, killed... <sighs> Of course. Killing about 25 people. Seven of them were Irish immigrants. Most of the rest were innocent bystanders. Bystanders. Mercury's <laughs> in retrograde. <laughs> yeah. Um, all in all, about 48 people were wounded. 50 to 70 police were injured. 140 wait, 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 wait. Why are police separate from people? There's also, no, I think more of it is that there seems to be a difference between wounded and injured. Oh, I don't okay. know why. I'm just that's what this blog. There was like these people. This many were wounded. This many were injured. I don't know. Huh? Okay. That's um, not the way we use
1: words. But good for you guys. Yeah.
0: Um. 141 militia men were injured. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of people got like killed and physically harmed because of a play. <laughs> yeah. Now this is a little more direct than that hurricane. Like this is literally this because is of this because play. of the play. Um, inside the theater, meanwhile, McCready struggled through the performance, then fled, never to appear in American theater again. <laughs> Good for him.
1: I Honestly, guess. pretty, pretty reasonable reaction, yeah. I think.
0: Yeah. So that was like definitely the biggest thing. Definitely, there have been. A lot of incidents of people being injured by falling set pieces, lights, backdrops. That's Um, really what I was expecting the majority of this to be about. mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of people
1: believe that if you say the name of this play while you are within a theater, a (laughs) (laughs) a grievous injury... Will befall somebody. Yeah. Falling lights, choking on stage food, mm-hmm. um, uh, falling sandbags and, yeah. and uh, drop curtains, which, like, oh, a dropped curtain. Yeah. Those
0: things weigh like 500 pounds. Yeah, it's not a small thing. People can, get crushed. They can suffocate. You can break bones. You could die if yeah. it hits the wrong place. Yeah, um, yeah. So there are a lot of stories like that. I'm not going to cover everyone because we would be here for Forever. a million hours. Right. Um, I will just briefly cover some of the most notable stories that I found. Um, in 1937, at the Old Vic, a 30-year-old Laurence Olivier was preparing to play Macbeth when the director Michael St. Dennis and Vera Lindsay, who's playing Lady Macduff, were involved in a car accident on the way to the That's theater. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Two days later, the dog belonging to the old Vic's founder, a theatrical grand dame, Lillian Boylis, was run over by a car. Sad. Yeah. Then a stressed out Olivier caught a cold and lost his voice, forcing the postponement of the opening. And St. Dennis was replaced as director by Tyrone Guthrie, who had three days to get the show ready to open. Wow. Um, in that period, a 25-pound stage weight crashed down from the flies, missing Olivier by inches. Then by- That's a curse production. Everybody should have left. Yeah. It's like, how many things have to go wrong before you're like maybe we just shouldn't do this one take the no yeah Uh, that's not even it um bayless took ill and died of a heart attack just before the final dress rehearsal the next time macbeth was produced at the old vic 17 years later the portrait of bayless that was hung in the theater fell from the (gasps) wall on opening night Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's all i gotta say about that witches (laughs) Don't mess with witches. Don't mess with witches. In 1953, Charlton Heston was starring in an open-air production of Macbeth in Bermuda. Uh, He was badly injured in a motorcycle accident during rehearsals, and on opening night, he suffered from severe burns in his groin and leg area from tights that were accidentally soaked in kerosene. Oh, my God. Why? Well, okay, I'll (laughs) tell you why um well i
1: here's why i guess okay um you actually used kerosene and gasoline to clean clothes mm. uh, it was like one of the earliest forms of dry cleaning um okay <laughs> now i don't know why it would have been soaked normally it would have been like sprayed and then mm. air dried um and and guys feel free to correct me if i'm wrong i've only studied that in passing uh but That's i'm pretty so sure More than i knew certainly. yeah it was that was that was dry cleaning. That Shit. was it was used for um gasoline, I believe. Mm-hmm. But kerosene as well. Shit.
0: Um, so and then the last one I wrote down was in 1970, actor George Ostroska, I think, was playing Macbeth when he dropped dead of heart failure during the first scene of Act Two. Well, well, well. Yes. So yeah, there's been a lot of things. Um, I swear I read this somewhere, but when I went back to write. note about it i couldn't find it but i I swear i read that it sounds like there's a lot of accidents that happen during this play but when you compare it to the accidents that happen in general right in a theater probably production it's it's not actually that insane theaters are dangerous places there's a lot of components there's a lot of like yeah there's a lot of different factors where you know. The lights are hot, so that can get your blood pumping, which, like, there's a lot of people who've died of heart attacks on stage during a lot of different productions or even concerts. Like, it just is happening. To say nothing of the dancing or the moving, like, physical movement. It's also just, like, you're so on edge. Like, your body is, like going totally. through a lot of like emotion and like nerves and stress stress when you are on stage and so I miss it. I yeah, I do too. there's just something about it. It's like I can watch videos of my old winter guard performances and I still feel that anxiety mm-hmm. of like oh my god, I need to remember what I'm gonna do okay uh, So I yeah I think it's it's a lot of accidents but I don't think it's actually that much more than any other production. Right. So. I don't think it would be statistically
1: significant if we pulled it out.
0: Yeah. But, Although that one with Laurence Olivier, yeah. that one is a lot. That's cursed. Yeah. Um. So,
1: but Laurence Olivier was also a very fraught figure. Mm. So maybe a modern witch put that one on.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, we've covered many times that theater people are particularly superstitious. A bit. Uh, So throughout the whole life of this play, people have been superstitious about it, like Mm. since the beginning. Um, People think it's cursed, and I think there's a lot of confirmation bias involved. Theater people have come up with an elaborate set of rules to get around the superstition. Right. I mean, theater superstitions are very good. They're full of them. It's yeah, it's very fun. It's part of There's life. a lot of rituals you go through. Like people will always have like their secret handshakes with like someone else before they go on stage. And so it's right. just like this very kind of ritualistic thing to get you in the headspace of like remembering your lines <laughs> and being able to perform things well and making sure it goes well every time. Um, So there's a lot of repetition. So they came up with these rules where you can't say the name of the play in a theater. Unless, of course, you are performing that play. (laughs) Like, if people are performing Macbeth, you have have to to be able to say Macbeth. Um, But every other time, you must refer to it as something else. The Scottish
1: play. The Scottish
0: play is the most famous alternative title. But people also call it the Scottish tragedy, the Scottish business, uh, the comedy of Glamis, <laughs> the unmentionable, and that play.
1: <laughs> Did you notice that it arrived in Hamilton? Yeah. Yeah, he references it indirectly first where where he's writing to Angelica and he says... Um, they think I'm another Scottish tragedy. It, um, they're comparing me to another Scottish tragedy without my having to name, name the play. Mm-hmm. But then he goes on to say, they think me Macbeth. Ambition is my folly. I'm yeah. a polymath. Pain in the ass. A massive pain.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's such a famous curse that it's referenced in and Hamilton. other things, yeah. And other things. So, yeah, you're not supposed to say the name of it unless it's specifically in the lines of, I suppose any other play will do too because Hamilton is not... Macbeth but the, he says Macbeth so right.
1: yeah so maybe but he's okay
0: he has to uh there's also different names for the character Macbeth and Lady Macbeth they'll say like MacBee or Lady B, like mm-hmm. Lady Macbeth. Yeah. I don't know there's just all number of <laughs> euphemisms uh, if you do uh slip up and say it in a theater you must immediately leave either the room or or the theater itself. Get you, the fuck out. And people will probably yell at you to do this. They'll just be, get out, get yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> um, once you do leave, you must turn around three times to the right, spit on the ground over each shoulder. I mean, this varies from place to place. And then you must curse, usually the foulest word you can think of. After you shout your swears, uh, you Galapagos, must-
1: Galapagos titty-nosed motherfucking sand pit. There you go. That's a good one. Yeah, it Uh, sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah. I just came with those words and jumbled them together.
0: There you go. Uh, So after you curse, you have to knock on the door and ask permission to re-enter. And people on the other side of that door can take as long as they want to let you (laughs) re-enter, depending on how mad they are. Like I said, there's other ways you can get around it. Some say you can banish the evils by yelling a stream of obscenities or mumbling the phrase, thrice around the circle bound evil sink into the ground or you can quote other shakespeare works um some people will quote *A the night's dream um i i didn't puck, write down what fools these mortals be no it was something um i don't know i think it's a puck line but i can't remember which puck has all the best lines really does um there's a merchant of venice line the one i wrote down is a quote from hamlet Angels and ministers of grace defend us, be thou a spirit of health or goblin damned, being with thee heirs from heaven or blasts from hell, be thy intense wicked or charitable, thou comest in such questionable shape that I will speak to thee. Nice whole mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> but I think there's shorter versions of that. So yeah, if you uh, are in a theater for any reason and make a mistake of don't do it y'all saying the word of the play or the person this is what you should do yeah all right and don't fuck around don't fucking fuck around <laughs> this is some serious shit people die people do die so that's all i got for that yeah i thought it was a lot of fun that is super fun. i love curses now curses are good times yeah
1: <laughs> i love a curse
0: uh well let's do a listener story yeah which... So I sent you a story that was in our inbox for a while. Uh, so this email comes from my good friend, Bastian, who I met when I studied abroad in Hungary with his dad, and the whole family came, and so we got to hang out in Budapest together. And we are birthday buddies. Oh, cool. And he's one of our Patreons. Oh, I love him. So thanks,
1: Bastian. All right, so Bastian writes, Dear Jen and Kate... Aw, Bastion got the C. Aww. I don't even care about that, but it is nice. Hmm. Um, let's get to the congratulatory front matter out of the way. <laughs> He's also just a delightful person. <laughs> I want to meet him. Uh, feel free to read aloud or not, as your egos require. <laughs> they do.
0: They do, Bastion. They do.
1: <laughs> oh, I've been enjoying your podcast for just about a year now, and I'm always surprised at what the two of you can make me laugh at. Yeah, hmm. yeah, me us too. too. <laughs> <laughs> now to the story. You mentioned doing an episode on angels like a year ago, at which time I thought, I oh, should I should send them the story. Like two years ago. Yeah. Uh, well, this was sent in 2018. Yep. Fashion. <laughs> <laughs> so We get to them. When we get to them, man. So, uh, I at which time I thought, oh, I should send them this story. Clearly, I didn't send you the story, and now my recollection on an episode of angels has not yet materialized. So here it is. Uh, write that down. We still haven't done angels. Yeah, we haven't
0: done it yet. So here we go.
1: Uh, the story comes to you secondhand from my father. Well, before he was Jen's professor in the land of Magyars. Magyars. It's a Hungarian word for Hungarians. Hungary. So like how the Germans call themselves the Deutsch?
0: Yeah, so the Hungarian word for Hungary itself is Magyarzag, which is land of the Magyars. Wow. All right. <laughs> Magyars. Magyar Medyars. I'm yeah, not. Mm. The whole G-Y combo is very difficult to pronounce, and I'm probably butchering it myself. Every but.
1: time I tap my nose, you have to say the word. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, uh, well before he well before he was Jen's professor in the land of the... Magyars. Very good. Uh, my father attended the same West Michigan college, mm. which I think we've said before. Calvin. Yeah, gentlemen to Calvin, guys. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: Which is now a university. Yeah. It, it was when I went there, too. No, I just yeah, chose no, not just, to use the name. It's fine
1: but you guys are a university. Congratulations to you. <laughs> so is Grand Valley. <laughs> yes, Grand Valley is a university. Yeah. We have enough people to be a university. It's not
0: about the number of people. It's about the programs offered.
1: Also true.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and you guys are tiny. I know. <laughs> All right. Bigger than most Christian schools, though. That's true. Although it doesn't say good things.
0: Well, I guess, you know what? It is what it is. It brought me you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Listen, just because Betsy DeVos went there. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so. But it also produced cool people.
1: Like Jen. Like me. Who has a sandwich named after her there. Yeah. Dope. Dope. All right, so. Returning to Bastion.
0: Yeah. He became good
1: friends with one of his roommates, who was a California native, and at the end of his sophomore year, he and the roommate decided to road trip from Grand Rapids to the roommate's home in Southern California. The first two-thirds of the trip passed uneventfully, or at least none of the events in this portion have been passed on to this generation. (laughs) All right. I definitely got to meet this guy. Yeah. Uh, While they were crossing the American Southwest, though, something unusual happened. They were in the middle of the desert and had enough money for gas for the rest of the trip, but not much more. College was cheaper in the
0: 80s, but I guess not that much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, college students were still poor, but it was because they spent all of their summer earnings on paying for their year of college, which they could do. Which they could do. (laughs) Um, Their food supplies consisted of two boxes of animal
1: crackers and two bananas. You know, (laughs) college student food. Yeah. They pulled into a gas station in the middle of nowhere, with no other buildings around, just flat land for miles. This will be important later. Mm. The roommate begins filling up the convertible, which is his car, and my dad starts arranging things in the back. While the roommate is pumping gas, an older Native American gentleman comes up to the roommate and asks for the roommate, asks the roommate for some money. The roommate is uncomfortable and passes the buck by telling him to ask my dad. My dad says that they only have enough money to get where they're going, but he gives the man half of their food, that is, one box of animal crackers and a banana. <laughs> the man thanks him and walks off. When the roommate goes into the small building to pay for the gas, apparently he could pump and pay back then. Wild. Oh. It was a more trusting time. <laughs> a more trusting time. Yeah. The cashier tells him that nothing was registering for that pump and told him to go make sure that he'd actually filled up. He had, and the cashier said that he should just go. Hmm. Said she charged him the books. If she ch- <laughs> if she charged him, the books would be wrong? Mercury in, reg- yeah. in retrograde. Um, yes. So if she charged him, the books wouldn't add up. Yeah. Newly moneyed, my dad decided he'd see if he could go find the older gentleman. He wasn't in the gas station, and he wasn't behind the gas station, and there was nowhere else for him to be. The area around the gas station was open for miles and miles, and the man was nowhere to be found. To this day, my dad claims that he was visited by an angel and that the kindness he showed was repaid in a tank of gas. Keep up the good work, Bastion. Wow. I like that. Aw.
0: There hasn't been a Native American gentleman in these parts in 50 years. (laughs) Because we made them all leave. Well, <laughs> yes. Tend to make that sad. But
1: yeah, that's a really cool story. It was cool. I'm so glad that he wrote that in.
0: Yeah, thanks, Passion. Very cool. Wow, Jeff, I didn't know that about you. <laughs> All right, well, my ass hurts. Does this your ass hurt? has been a, another very long episode. It's a beefy one, I yeah. guess I shouldn't have expected anything else from an episode about Shakespeare. I, honestly, All of Shakespeare, everything involved in Shakespeare is just. Three hours long. Yeah, that's just how it's it got to be.
1: Yeah. All right, guys. Well, you said you like long episodes. Put your yeah, got there. one. Yeah. Enjoy. Um, all right. Well, uh, catch us on the internet. Yeah. Uh, join our Facebook group um, if you want to be part of our Patreon. We also have that up and running and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope mm-hmm. we see you guys there. We need to. Thank oh, some we people. have to. We have to thank some people. We're gonna do that in just a second. You can also jump in and catch us on email, Twitter instagram and facebook mm-hmm. uh, we'll have a new episode for you in a fortnight
0: yes <laughs> and yeah, jen, we're not
1: doing this weekly shit no <sighs> we cannot keep up with that fucking shit jesus christ especially now that jen is newly employed so everybody yes. send jen your yay congratulations good job guys i start tomorrow and oh, it's we will be, go yeah. eat a sushi burrito in celebration oh
0: god i'm so excited it's gonna be so good
1: ah. okay so we have to wait till i get paid on wednesday though Well, yeah. Okay, thanks.
0: Uh, So here are this week's Patreon patrons. We love you. Uh, Thank
1: you. And again, if you can't contribute, we
0: appreciate your good vibes all the same. Yes. We understand that money is hard. Yes. Uh, So thank you to Amanda, who preferred not to be last named. Right on. Uh, Patternicity. Patternicity. Cool. Cool. Uh, thank you to Omi.
1: Cool. Thank you, guys. We have the most interesting names this round. Uh, yes, we do. I love it. Um,
0: uh, thank you to Jen Whitlock. Hey! Who I do remember from our group. We Tr- know her. We love her. Trish Stuff. We know her. We love her. Yep. Kelsey Johnston. Yes, yes. Chelsea Bone. Yes, yes. Love it. Uh, Tess Hill Hugh. Sorry. in H- Retrograde. Yeah. No, I think, I just don't know how to, t- Tess Thank you. <laughs> I butchered your last <laughs> yeah, name. Tess, we're I'm sorry. I'm certain of it. Um, thank you to Lisa Matson. Hey, And finally, thank you to Rebecca Lemmer. Oh my gosh, I love all these people. Guys, thank you so, so much. Uh, yeah. We deeply appreciate it, truly. We're going to be filming our second video soon, and it will be, as y'all requested, an introduction to our. Furry pets friends oh my god
1: you guys are gonna be so excited about gambit yeah he's
0: real cute it's gonna be a whole thing so if you want to see that and see our other video that we already posted um head over to patreon.com slash this podcast is haunted and uh yeah um and thank you all for listening jen do you want to go watch the Lerman version of romeo and juliet I right, mean, obviously <laughs> all right well let's go do that we'll go do that uh and you guys stay spooky motherfuckers boom yeah.